And so in a game seven with Oliver Perez on the mound, you would think Willie Randolph was going to be as super aggressive using that bullpen more so than ever. And he had been aggressive to begin with. Again, think about John Maine's earlier starts in this postseason. We had seen Willie go to that bullpen very, very early. Like I'll, I'll turn the page earlier to game six the night before he got John Maine out in the sixth inning, one on one out. He'd given up two hits, hadn't given up a run. He'd walk a bunch of guys and he made the right move going to Chad Bradford to get Scott rolling. Keep that in mind, by the way, Chad Bradford came in in a big spot in the sixth inning the night before with a two nothing lead. And he got Scott rolling to ground into a double play. And Willie meticulously would use his bullpen to kind of weave his way in and out and find the right scenarios and the right matchups. Feliciano against the lefty, Bradford against the right righties, and that's how he managed. So knowing that, reminding you of that, we go to the fifth inning. And think about what Willie Randolph did here, which was just so fascinating. He gives up a leadoff hit to Ronnie Belliard, who's the eighth place hitter. They get a bunt down from Jeff Supon, right? So top of the fifth inning, 1-1 game, runner on first, one out, third time around the batting order, which I guess wasn't a thing in 2006. And you have Eckstein, you've got Preston, and you've got Pujols. And Willie sticks with Oliver Perez. Ali hits David Eckstein. You got two on, you got one out. He sticks with Oliver Perez. Strikes out Preston Wilson, who was pretty much a disaster in this series. Great. Now you got Albert Pujols coming up. You've got first and second. You got two outs. It's a tie game. It's Oliver Perez. It's the fifth inning where you have pulled your starters before, and the best hitter in the universe is at the plate. And so I see, and I did not remember this. I admit this. I see Willie come out to the mound. We all did. Willie runs to the mound which is a sign of he's not taking him out. How do you not take him out? See, I was always want to be fair about first guessing and second guessing. I do remember first guessing this. I do remember saying, okay, hey, hey. We got four and two thirds out of Ollie P. Are we feeling good? Like, can we get him the hell out of here? And Willie Randolph sticks with him to face Albert Pujols. And again, Oliver Perez with the balls of stone on two pitches to get Pujols to pop up the shortstop. And that's another moment where I think to myself, we're winning this freaking game. Wow. Holy crap. Oliver Perez stays in the game. He faces Albert Pujols. He pops him up in a situation where, why is he in the game? I'm thinking they're going to win. And then, and this is Will. Willie's getting nuts. Bottom of the fifth inning, Oliver Perez leads off the inning. He keeps him in the game. Like, this is maniacal what Randolph was doing with Perez. And sometimes being maniacal is good. Because I think back to another game in Met history where I saw a manager push a starter further than I thought he would. And that was Terry Collins and Jacob DeGrom in game five of the NLDS in 15. And it worked great. Like, he got six innings out of him. Let's have a party. But this was so surprising. Even watching it again, it was surprising. He lets Perez bat in the fifth inning. He lines out. Reyes and LaDuca do nothing. And here we go. 
top of the sixth inning, 1-1. I don't even know Perez's pitch account because they don't tell us. Isn't that a reminder of the different world we live in? We have no idea what his pitch count is. There is no pitch count on the graphic. There is no reminder. Now, maybe you guys saw one and I missed it. I never saw his pitch count. And I guess that shows you that it didn't matter. It wasn't about the pitch count. It was about, do you like him in this scenario? And obviously, we are talking about an inning that will live in Met history right now. The top of the sixth inning of Game 7 of the 2006 NLCS, also known as the inning where Gary Cohen somehow pushed his way into the radio booth and pushed, I think it was Tom McCarthy out because Gary Cohen went to TV and he wanted to do some playoff action. Like, who could blame him, right? Gets one in Carnacion, a ground out, walks Jim Edmonds. Okay, timeout, timeout, timeout. So Oliver Perez walks Jim Edmonds, his second walk of the game. He walks a lefty, and now Scott Rowland is up with a runner on first and one out in the sixth inning. There is no first guess, maybe in my lifetime. Now, Terry Collins, Matt Harvey, game five Royals, okay. That sticks with me as much as this. Willie Randolph needed to get Oliver Perez out of this effing game. Chad Bradford is warming up. He's ready. Now, what did I say three minutes ago? In game six, Bradford came in to face Scott Rowland and got him to ground into a double play. It is the exact same situation. Not score-wise, but runner on first, one out. Perez just walked Jim Edmonds. I want you to answer this question, Pete. Why the hell did Willie Randolph keep Oliver Perez in to face Scott Rowland? Like, is there a good reason? There is. And I'm gonna I'm gonna it's it's not that difficult. Maybe it's too surface level, but A, he was clearly batting battling injury, right? Roland was definitely hurting. Yes. And and that game, if you watched how he was swinging the bat and how they were throwing, you know, up and in fastballs, and he just couldn't get around on it. I think that was their approach. I think that Willie had full trust that Oliver Perez was going to keep it in that spot, in that zone, and Roland couldn't do anything with it. So even if he did hit it, it wasn't going to be anything worthwhile. Well, we screwed that one up. (laughs) Scott Roland was definitely hurt, as talked about on this broadcast. But the night earlier, John Main, who had that high-rising fastball, was pulled for Chad Bradford. So unless you're worried about Roland facing Bradford two days in a row, maybe, uh, this move made no sense. And I I give Joe Buck and Tim McCarver credit. They're talking about it. And and it wasn't a great hearing Tim McCarver. I love Tim McCarver. I know that some baseball fans maybe didn't love him. I did. I always thought Tim McCarver was teaching us baseball, even though at this point in my life, he wasn't teaching me baseball. But when I was like five, and I was watching the Mets. He was teaching me baseball. You know, him and Ralph Kiner, that's how you learn. Those two and my dad, they were teaching me baseball. So it's really good to hear McCarver's voice. I did enjoy that over the course of the three hours. But Scott Rowland did not make us wait. <laughs> because obviously, the first pitch is one of the most famous moments in the history of this franchise. A ball off the bat that is gone. And... Watching this, and obviously we've all seen the highlight 150 times of Andy Chavez's catch, but watching it almost in quote-unquote real time, it's even more impressive than maybe we give him credit for, the catch. The fact that he's on the dead run, the fact that he's got no time to kind of set himself up, to leap up. Like he is sprinting towards that old wall in left field at Shea, 
and he leaps up and he makes the catch and then immediately knows, hey, I should try to double off Jim Edmonds. Like, why not? And he did. And then that pump fist from Delgado, that pimp, pimp not pump fist, that pimp, the pimp, pump, fist pump. You're supposed to say fist first, right? Not pump fist, fist pump. Well, he pumped his fist or he fist pumped, but you don't really, <laughs> pump fisting is not really a thing now. Yeah, probably not. Whatever. <laughs> Point is, Delgado <laughs> gives that little like hook. And it took me back to that moment. And what I thought and what I said at Chase Stadium that night to my dad, I said to him, we're going to win the World Series. I did. I did say that. And I shouldn't have said it. And maybe if I was 40 instead of 23, I wouldn't have said it. But I said it. And I, I couldn't have been the only person that said that. I couldn't have been the only person that thought that. But that literally was the reaction. And it's so stupid when you think about it. Because as great as that play was, it is the sixth inning. It is 1-1. There's a long way to go. This was not a basis clearing triple that put the Mets up five to one and the party is on. It was an incredible moment. It was a shocking moment, but all it did was maintain the status quo. It's all it did. So I apologize. I apologize to everybody who didn't say that. And I did. And I remember saying it and it sucks knowing what we know now. Yeah. But Ev, like name one Met fan who didn't say that? Like, I had people in a bar that were Yankee fans be like, dude, you guys are winning this game. Like, it was obvious. This is like a no watch a no hitter, and you see people just making crazy plays, like, oh my God, it's gonna happen today. That was the feeling that when when some some games are just special and yeah. you're, they're happening in real time, so you have to take it take it in. That was this moment. That what was hap That's what was happening to all the Mets fans. Yeah, and, and I don't know if you guys came back down to earth real quick, but I did because the bottom of the sixth inning haunts me. You know, when you think back to this game, and certainly rewatching it reminded me of this. The bottom of the sixth inning, I don't want to say is the game because that's not fair. You're still in a tie game at home. But let's go through this bottom of the sixth inning and why it still haunts me all these years later. And rewatching it, it was one of the more difficult innings to rewatch. You just had the moment of Indy making that catch. And now it's the sixth inning. And you know, Beltron taps out back to the mound. Okay, no big deal. But then you get the walk to Delgado. And all of a sudden, there's a rally. And David Wright hits a little chopper to third base that Roland is kind of hesitating on, do I go to second? Am I trying to turn two? Do I just throw to first base and get the second out? And Scott Rowland, who is in the Hall of Fame, newly in the Hall of Fame because of his glove, makes one of the worst throws you'll ever see Scott Rowland make. And it goes into the stands. And so if you thought Andy Chavez making a remarkable catch in left field was a sign we're going to win the World Series... How about the Brooks Robinson of our era making an error that sets the Mets up with second and third and nobody out? It's not just an error. Like errors happen in baseball. Scott Rowland made it. The great Scott Rowland, the Brooks Robinson of 2006, makes an airmailed throw and we're set up with second and third one out. They put Sean Green on. Oh, quick aside. So when the Mets are watching Sean Green take his four and we saw Albert Pujols get an intentional walk earlier in the game, I'm thinking to myself, wow, we have to sit here and watch 
an actual intentional walk. We're so used to the fact that now you just put those little fingers up and the guy goes to first base. But you're set up with bases loaded, one out, and Jose Valentin at the plate. And that one-two pitch he swung at. Oh, God. Oh, my God. All he had to do was put the ball in freaking play. And he's swinging at a pitch that Jeff Supon just buries in the dirt. Valentin misses it. Two outs. And so the Mets right there miss a golden opportunity to get a run without even getting a hit, which, by the way, they hadn't had yet since the first inning. Jose Valentin, too, unfortunately. Like, I remember him that year. The first half, I want to say the first few months, were pretty, like, legit. Like, he was a solid player for the Mets. And then that last month of the season, September, was just god-awful. And I think it carried into the playoffs. He just couldn't hit a lick anymore. And that's with that that was a huge hole that we had offensively. Yeah, he ended up going six for 33 with two doubles in the two series against the Dodgers and the Cardinals. He had a great year that year, like you said, and, and he was late in his career. And I thought he played some pretty good defense at second base, but he was 36 years old. And, you know, it just ended. And in that spot, more than anything, hit the ball to right field. Just hit the ball in the air. The Mets get a run. I don't know how this game transpires. Obviously, it's a completely different game if they have any kind of lead, especially the way it's managed down the stretch. But him swinging at a pitch in the dirt, awful. It was just awful. And then Andy Chavez comes up. And here's the thing about Andy. Andy makes the great catch in Met history. Andy Chavez was just not a major league hitter at that time. Like he wasn't hitting at all in the postseason. He was literally there for his defense. He was there for what we saw on the top of the uh, top of the inning, and we relied on him. And he swung at the first pitch. It's a lazy fly ball to center field, and I felt it at the time, and I certainly felt it watching it now on YouTube years later. It took the air out of our sails. Like you get this great moment from Chavez making the catch. And then in the bottom of the inning, you're set up with another potential great moment because of an error by a guy that never makes an error. You've got bases loaded one out without a hit, by the way. Like I said, like that inning is set up without any kind of base hits and you get nothing out of it. Absolutely nothing out of it. 